Bette Midler, Einstein, and Mordecai Richler. Abby, Alana, and their pal Wolf Blitzer. That guy my Bobby once met on a cruise. These are a few of my favorite Jews. Hello, loyal listeners. Welcome to episode four of A Few of My Favorite Jews. Today, I have Salma Hindi on the podcast. Truly one of my favorite people um, to chat with. We, I, I've not known her for a long time, and we don't spend much time together, but every time we do, I just friggin' love chatting with that, that gal. Um, I'm going to keep my intro short because she and I talked a lot. And I want to leave room for you guys to enjoy that. So I'll just quickly check in, say, you know, I'm doing okay. I'll tell you what, a couple things going on with me. I am trying to be healthier. Uh, I've been sober now for a year and a half. I got sober on November 18th, 2019, not because of some like health fad, but because it was, I needed to. And it takes a little while to sort of get into the groove of of sobriety and I, I, I finally feel like I'm in that groove where I feel pretty stable in my recovery, but I don't. So now I'm at the point where just being sober isn't enough for me for health. I would like to actually, I would like to be healthy on top of that. You know, I would like to eat really well and uh, I would like to not be, you know, I want, I have back pain and I would like that to go away and move my body more. What I absolutely do not subscribe to and never will is the myth, the myth that I need to drink eight glasses of water per day. Who has the time? Truly, who has the time for such things to drink eight glasses per day? Can you even imagine what someone asking that? As that, that is an obscene recommendation. It's disgusting. I'm supposed to spend, I guess, half my life drinking water? So I'm supposed to spend half of my life doing all of the other things that I have to do. You know, wake up, go to sleep, whatever else. And then the other half, just drinking water, it's just too much. You know, when am I going to meet somebody? When am I going to fall in love? What if, what if my soulmate's out there and he can't find me because I'm too busy drinking water? Vice versa, you know? Um... I just think it's insane. I don't know who came up with this eight glasses per day recommendation, um, but I think it is a ruse. Uh, it's a prank. It's a hoax. Somebody silly is telling us to drink this much water per day. I don't know who it is. Perhaps big water or big glass or big glass of water. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or big pharma. You know, <laughs> you never know what those silly rascals are up to. Although, you know what, I'm not going to, Big Pharma, hey, hey, Big Pharma, it's your girl, Laura. Listen, I know you got those vaccines. Some of my favorite people still need some. So let's get those vaccines in arms, and I won't say anything mean about you ever again. Um, I will say uh, I got vaccinated. I got my first dose of the vaccine. I got Pfizer. But the reason I got the vaccine is I I got it at CAMH because I have substance use disorder, Um, which is really (laughs) exciting. Um, It's really one of the few times where this has benefited me in any way. And I was so emotional. I, I don't, 
I, I got there and I had, I, I had signed up into the wrong category by mistake. I was really scared I wouldn't get it, the vaccine. Um, but they were nice enough to just change it for me. I brought my proof of diagnosis with me. I had this pamphlet that explains like what my, what my mental illness is and um, what I've been diagnosed with. And they were like, I was really, really frantic and I was like shaking and they were like, it's okay. Uh, we'll just change it for you. They like at the registry, they just changed it for me right away. Um, and I was so emotional and I felt like no one else was excited. I'm wondering if maybe they were there for their second dose. I don't know. Um, maybe they were all just wasps, but I was like trying to catch people's eye to just have a moment because it was so, I was so emotional and I was, I teared up when the guy gave me my shot and he also wasn't that excited. I don't know. It was all very clerical, but it felt amazing. And then in the waiting room, again, I was like really chatty and trying to talk to people and asking people what dose they were at. And um, one other young woman indulged me a little bit, but um, everyone was really just on their phones staring down. But it was a moment. It was a moment. It was a moment. And I don't know, it made me angry because I was like, listen, I don't know anything about anybody. Maybe these people that were getting vaccinated were, had you know, like many people been desperately trying to get vaccinated and weren't able to. Um, but like there are people right now who just would do anything for a vaccine and they cannot work from home and they are being ex exposed to risk every single day. And if they were in that room, I think they'd be really happy and emotional. And so F you to the people who can't even... I don't know, just enjoy, just feel the blessing that what it was to be in that room. Whoa, I'm getting really emotional. It's been a long year, my friends. It's been a long year. Um, anyways, um, I guess I am feeling very happy to be vaccinated, have to have had my first dose. Um, okay, that was a, a weird note to head into the interview. So let's lighten things and back on up. Um, I was having a memory recently about um, I being at summer camp and this guy I had a crush on, and I always I remember I remember being on the at the sail docks with him. <laughs> Sorry, um, that laugh was such a rich laugh. That was such a rich person's laugh about sailing. Um, yeah, I went to a camp with a sailboat and um, like a little you know a little a little sailboat. What do you call those? A schooner? A schooner? A little sailboat is a schooner? I don't know. Um, and we were on the docks, and I made him laugh. I, uh, he, they were talking about this girl in my cabin who they they thought was really, they were like, she's, she, I, we love her. She's so great. And I always had, a, I always resented this girl in my cabin because she was really small and really cute, and um, she always got to, like, go first for things. Like, she always cut the line for food. Like, if we had, like, a special treat, she would always get in the front, and all the counselors would be like, <laughs> it's so-and-so. She's so cute, you know? Anyway, such a insane hang-up I had at, like, 11. Um, obsessed. I was so obsessed with how unfair it is that she got special treatment. And um, they were talking about how she was so awesome and I was like what exactly is so awesome about her and 
they were like, she's so cute. And I was like, is that a worthy trait in a friend? Is that something you want? Is that something you want to say about your best friend? Oh, she's such a good friend. I can fit her in my little pocket. And I, I, I was like really angry and he started laughing and I was blown away. My, I, I don't rem- remember anything from my childhood, but I remember this. I remember this because I thought he was cute and I made him laugh out of sincere uh, frustration. Anyways, but that's not even the point of the story. The point of the story is I later found out <laughs> he was a, a like a third cousin of mine. And this is just a peril of Judaism, I must say, of being a Jew in North America. You know, no fewer than four times have I had a crush on somebody only to find out they were a cousin of some kind. Distant, closer, everything. Um, and no fewer than two times have I let that stop me from pursuing something, you know? Um, no, no, I kid. No, no, I kid. But I don't kid. One of my exes, he wasn't my cousin. (laughs) He wasn't my cousin, but he was my cousin's cousin. Um, like, he would, he and I shared a second cousin. Okay. So through marriage, we were bound together. Through marriage, not of our own, we were bound together. Marriage brought us together and divorce pulled us apart. No, we didn't get divorced. Um, We just broke up and he got all the friends. You know how that happens when everyone in your life likes someone else more than you? It's a good feeling. It is a good feeling um, to know that at any moment, half the people you, you know could just boogie. Why am I telling you guys this? Why am I telling you guys this? That is so personal and intimate. Well, I don't know. My producer told me to be more like Mark Marin. So uh, on that note, let's see who I'm mad at. No, just kidding. I'm not mad at anybody. Well, I'm mad at, uh, I mean, almost everybody. But uh, they won't know. They'll never know. That's for me to know. Quietly, seethingly, alone. Um, Yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, if you ever have a crush on somebody, one of the first things you're going to want to do is ask them if they're your cousin. I would even maybe put that on your Hinge or Tinder profiles. If you can't do that, then yeah, I wait to match um, whatever you say to open up. And then, you know maybe two lines of banter, blah, 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 blah. Um, are you my cousin? Now, if you're embarrassed about that, if you don't want to open your conversation with somebody cute by saying, are you my cousin? Um, you don't have to ask directly, are you my cousin? You just need the information. You, so you can do, you can very sneakily ask that, um, by saying, you know, asking a bit about them, where they grew up, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, you know, say, hey, what's, you know, what's your mom's name? Is she my mom's sister? Something like this. And if they never get back to you, it's because they're your cousin. And it's not because of anything else. Listen, it's enough of me. Let's get to the freaking episode. Happy, uh, what holiday are we at here? Nothing. Okay, happy Godless Wednesday. Quickly before we get started, let's hear a little bit of Salma's stand-up comedy. Um, I 
was a little late coming because my neighbor confused me for their Uber driver, so I had to follow through with the stereotype and drop them off. I'm just kidding, my husband doesn't let me drive. I'm also kidding, I don't have a husband. I'm single. Um, I'm 28 and single, which to my parents means that I'm old enough to be a mother of four, but I'm too young to be allowed to stay out past 10 p.m. So I'm an engineer, but I'm still trying to do that math. Uh, okay, let's get something out of the way. Um, you, sir, what's your name? Fred. Fred. <laughs> what did it take you five seconds? Is that really his name? Can you confirm? <laughs> Fred, do you know the name of what I'm wearing on my head, what it's called? Good job. Yes, give it up for Fred, everyone. He was so confident. You got it right. Uh, it's called a hijab. I've been wearing it majority of my life. I often get a lot of questions about it. People often ask me, are you hot in that? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> but I'm hotter without it. So before we talk about uh, Ben Feldman, your favorite Jew. I think, we, I think we've talked about this before like a while ago. But is that something that you've shed at this point a little bit? Like that guilt about your dad and performing? Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so loud when I first started, which was like around 2017. So that's another thing. I was like, if they know how much of a baby I am in comedy, like I can't say it. I can't be like, oh, yeah, two years or like whatever, four years now. Right. But um, yeah, in the beginning, it was like crazy loud. Uh, I just was so emotionally attached to my parents like had such strong codependence on them and they were my moral spiritual religious all of that first of all was intertwined i couldn't even separate between those three um they were my compass so i i, I just like it when comedy was the first time that i did something uh, against what they wanted and i persisted yeah oh like, okay so you'd done stuff they weren't pleased with before, but this was the first time that you persisted. I think, yeah, like, so two years in, I got, like, a handle over the anxiety and everything. And then I got into a relationship. Um, and this person, so actually it was maybe a year in. This dude was, like, almost like, you know, I almost, like, repeated the dynamic with my parents in him, as we do, unconsciously. Always this is therapy, forever. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Yeah, so I did that, and then he and he started off being like, oh, my God, I love your comedy. I love that you're doing this, and you're going out of your way, and whatever, whatever. And then, um, like, afterwards, he'd come to a few shows, and he'd see me, like, do innuendos. Oh, I did a dick pic joke, and, right? I couldn't even hear them in the beginning, then I did one. I can't even <laughs> hear you talking about it, even secondhand. Right? And then he was, like, shocked and was just kind of like, how is this benefiting anybody? And like literally went into like, you know, breaking it down and then was like almost trying to like spiritually calculate like where this stands religiously. Like he's like, and then he, he at one point he like equated um, me doing stand up comedy, like the unethicalness of it, uh, me doing stand up comedy to if he were to like work in manufacturing weapons for Israel. I was like, what? <laughs> Two very different things. Did he explain that, like, correlation, or he just launched in confidently and then was like... <laughs> <laughs> he was just kind of like, you know, um, I'm just telling you, like, ethically, whatever, they're both questionable. And then I remember I brought this, this conversation up to my therapist, like, recently. 
and my therapist was like, somebody who comes to you with that argument, like, like you can't even reason with him unless you were to lower yourself to his level of fear and, um, you know, like he's just being illogical. So I, which is easy to say after the fact, but when I was in it, I was like, no, I must prove to you because that's what I had always done with my parents. Like I must prove to you. I must defend, like, who I am and my values and my choices, right? I didn't have a particularly hard time, like, proving that to my parents that stand-up was a somewhat worthy pursuit. But mm. stand-up comics are, like, feeble, fragile souls who ultimately want approval from anyone who has watched us perform. Mm. Always. It's like, I always, afterwards, I want everyone to have liked it, and I certainly don't want them to think I'm a murderer. That's always on the table. I don't ever yeah. want that. <laughs> exactly oh my gosh yeah um anyways that I feel like that relationship really dragged me to my lowest point which um is also great because that led me to therapy and then you know like two and a half years later now I'm able to just really divorce myself from my values versus my parents values and I moved out for like a year and a half now so it's just quiet like it's like it's just me with myself and me, like, figuring out, like, I could literally do whatever I want, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, you can, like, but the fact that you know that is pretty impressive after two and a half years of therapy. That's not a lot of time. That's true, but you know, like, I remember when I was doing therapy, everybody would ask me, like, how's work and how's comedy? I was like, yeah, they're going, but, like, what I'm really doing is therapy. Like, I was really, really doing it. I was, I would go <clears throat> to therapy, even, like, sometimes multiple times a week. I would um, journal every single like I would literally transcribe almost every single um session I had I would read about any new concept they introduced I would like go like just go through the entire internet read all the articles about it and then journal about that and journal about how and I journaled like crazy and it's like my journaling um is proportional to how much I'm going through it <laughs> you know what I mean yeah and then sure. I'm like pumping out like you know six seven entries a day also good for you like that. that you don't call, uh, that you have a word for journaling that isn't just like doing stand-up like that you actually consider journaling to be a separate endeavor than stand-up because yeah. i bet you a lot of comics if you if you told them that journaling was beneficial they'd be like i, I do journal and it's like no you it's on, on stage you, like, you, yeah you journal on stage and also like unless you've been doing it for like 20 years and you are a mm. fucking killer but it's yeah. really hard to get on stage and and talk in a way that would benefit, like that where you're really talking from your from an honest place, and and also do well that night, you know. Exactly, that's the thing. Like I have done the former a lot, but it has never. <laughs> it didn't really lead to the latter. Like people were like, "This is was amazing." They were like, "Um, I think you're like this is TMI. <laughs> like yeah. you should take this." They were like, therapy. "You owe us so much money now. Like we exactly. paid you, but we want money." <laughs> Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, anyways, yeah, all that to say, it's definitely gone a lot, lot better. Like, right now, I think in therapy, we're really diving into my framework and how I think of the divine, or how I think of God, basically, and, like, um, like you know, what problematic frameworks or uh, meaning I'm, like, assigning in what way. Like, we're, we're getting really deep into that. And, um, so many questions. Okay. Wait quickly. Yeah. Is your therapist, okay. uh, is your, is your therapist Muslim? No, she's agnostic. Okay. But she understands yeah. spirituality enough to work through this with you. Yeah. Okay. So it's mostly like, I think she's asking me like, how do I see div divinity? How do I see God? Do I see God as an external 
uh, being or have I like internalized divinity? Like, like, and then Mm. she kind of actually suggested like, why don't you try on um, this concept where you believe like you are divine, like every single grain of sand, for example, has the same level of divinity um that that you do that god does whatever like basic and then i was like okay so like i encompass the divine which is so interesting because i feel like that is an islamic concept but it's been so silenced into making god like an external um judge basically and then she was like okay how do you see god and then i was like i see god as a best friend and then she was like okay what kind of a friend like a friend who um looks at your actions and then gives a judgment or like who supports you no matter what I was like, mm, that's, I don't know, like, I think it's more so on the, on the judgmental side, but also, like, I know no matter what, like, they'll understand. Yeah. Um, My dad is ha- a, is a friend who's less hot than me, so that I <laughs> am the cutest. So you're not competing. Never, never competing. Yeah. And then <laughs> she kind of suggested, she's like, okay, if you were to, um, put on, like, just try on the mindset that you are encompass the divine so you have divinity in you how would that shape the way you think about yourself and the prayers that you make i was like well it would probably shape the prayers in that i wouldn't so desperately ask for things i would more so be like well the divinity is within me so i would just ask for god to maybe like sharpen my um senses and like make me make like things a little bit more clear for me and I, I would probably be a little more graceful and, like, self-accepting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'd be like, bro, I have, like, God in me, you know? That's so powerful. I'm so interested by this whole thing because, um, like, I, I grew up extremely, <clears throat> I, I guess, agnostic, but, like, atheist. Yeah. But now I'm in AA, and spirituality is a huge part of it. And it's so, mm-hmm. in some ways, I'm so resentful that I was raised godless. And I'm like, I'm such a fucking heathen. Um and I'm trying to find, like, spirituality in God now. And uh, there's this... I, I never put these two things together, but um, there's this... I really must technically supposed to talk about AA, but it's fine. There's this thing in the room that's like, if you do all the steps, you will... Um, how do they put it? They're like, you will instinctively know how to behave in situations that used to confound you. Uh, and, and then there's also, like, all this talk about um, God not doing things for you other than showing you how to behave. Like, it's just, it just shows you what your next right thing is to do. And it never occurred to me that those two things are, are sort of the same, that like, like, like they always talk about that. And people will say like, I did all the steps and now I just, I just instinctively know how to behave in situations that used to confound me. And it's like, oh, that's God. That's, I think, Mm. I think that's like finding God anyways. Yeah. 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 Very interesting to me. Yeah. I think like, I think, it's so uh, basically I discovered that I have a really toxic, um, addictive, like addiction almost relationship to God because I Mm. felt like I would only turn to God in two situations. Okay. The first one was, um, if I felt a lot of shame, uh, like somebody told me off or put me down, like, well, I don't know, just last week I like got into a fight with my, um, cat's vet. Like he's just being such an asshole. He started yelling at me. I know it's so random. But no, he just I'm glad yelling. you said vet though, because I feel like we are at a point in the pandemic where you could have not said vet. You could have just said cat. <laughs> my cat, true. <laughs> I mean, my cat didn't shame me. If anything, I like shame him, which is like so bad. I really feel. But, I always feel shame around cats. Like there's something about them that makes me feel really 
guilty and ashamed. <laughs> I'm like, dead. I just feel judged. But like, I felt so much shame, like, in that moment, in that night. Like, I felt like shit. And I, I was in Mississauga, and I was like, I could go see my family. But I was like, no, I feel really shitty. Like, you know when you, like, the blood drains from your face, kind of, your your heart starts to race. Like, I almost I felt like, like I was shoulders. in trouble. Yeah. My shoulders and my arms, I really feel shame and guilt. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I felt like, and then I felt like almost, you know, I'm in trouble with the principal or something like that. So immediately in in those moments, those low shame moments, I feel like, is God punishing me because I've been distant from him? Like, I feel like I should turn to God because um, this is probably happening to me because I've been distant from God and I need to pray more. Like, that's one reaction I have. Yeah. Versus another reaction is... uh, if, if somebody else has something, like, really good happen for them, like, let's say a bunch of comedians get, like, JFL or something, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my God, like, all of them got it. I never got it. I was so close. I, I feel this rush over me, like, okay, I'm just going to, like, pray extra hard now so that the next time God is giving out blessings and opportunities, um, I'm not missed, basically. Like, it's my turn next. It's kind of like that feeling when you go to the beach and you see everybody is so hot and they have abs and you're like, oh my God, you get this rush over. You're like, I'm never eating again. Diet starts tomorrow. I'm going to the gym. You know what I mean? I'm walking into the ocean and never coming back. <laughs> it's the only yeah, solution. Like, the shame, like either. And then, and then basically <laughs> that's the addiction piece because it's like in the moment, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. I desperately want to hit, even if it's like God. Yeah. I think that. It, uh, the feeling you're describing, I think most comedians, when they have that feeling, which we do all the time, I either I should have gotten that or I wish I got that or I'm so ashamed or I feel so guilty or I, whatever, whatever, we do do drugs or or some other kind of escapist behavior or gossip. That's like the big one, yes. probably. Everyone in yeah, the community yeah. is addicted to gossip. Um, and so, yeah, 100%. And so the fact that, that in that moment that's what you do, yeah, it is like a an addiction coping thing for sure. I for sure. I have a thought, which is very uh, unrefined at this point, but I, so for me, my go-to emotion is shame, shame and guilt, which are not the same, but I definitely feel them both a lot. Okay. And I think, I, this is me guessing, but I think that Muslim and Jewish families have a lot more enmeshment than Christian families. Like, mm-hmm. I would be yeah. surprised if that weren't true. You know, and like we all, I think in that way that that we're similar, that we, meaning children, always have our parents in our bodies in this way that other people don't. And it's, I'm impressed that you're able, like, do your parents listen to your stuff? Do they listen to podcasts and no they don't listen okay. to podcasts they i think like in the beginning they did watch a few of my videos that they could find online because they were like um they they just kind of wanted to know what I, what was being said like what i was saying and especially because a lot of it was about my dad and he just kind of wanted to know and then i think like after i did the um, uh cbc gem episode with like just for Laughs northwest uh somebody had sent that to my dad and he said um, he said something like, I can't believe this is your daughter or whatever. Cause he's, my dad's like any mom. Right. Mm. And then my dad like turned around and tried to say something. And then my sister-in-law was like, turned it back on my dad and was like, why is this man gossiping? You know? And I was like, yeah, gossip is like a huge, huge, huge sin. But like everybody just conveniently ignores that when they want to shame you and do everything else. Man, that's so wild because you're, what you've accomplished in your really short career so far 
is like unbelievable. <clears throat> and it's so funny that you have this wild double life going on where like within the comedy community, we all revere all of the credits that you have so much. Like if someone sent any of us something or if we knew that like someone had sent one of our parents a JFL taping that we were on, like, oh my God, that's all you wait for. But you yeah, have this yeah, yeah. like wild conflict that you have to deal with, which I'm sure is like extra motivating for you because you're like, I have to, if I'm going to do this, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to really yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. It's so interesting. Okay. This is like really, really fucked up, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, so my dad, <laughs> so, uh, we have three sisters in my family, two brothers, right? Like we're three sisters, two brothers. And, um, my sisters are much older, but so they had it much worse than me because you know, your parents are like way strict. And, like, the oldest, like, I truly, 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 genuinely believe in youngest child privilege. Yes, me too. Like I'm an oldest child, so I definitely Oh, okay, do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I feel bad for what my sisters went through. But basically, like, my dad, he tried it with me a little bit, too. Um, but I think he succeeded a lot more with scaring them. But he would threaten us that he could at any moment pull us out of our education. Like, like your high school's not... Um, a right it's mm. definitely a privilege and it could be taken away at any moment and you could homeschool and my sisters did homeschool but I went to Islamic uh, school for high school and then for university same thing he was like this is um, not a right it's a privilege and I could pull you out any minute I could pull you out any minute if you're talking to guys I could pull you out any minute if you're doing this I could pull you out any minute and so my sisters were like terrified they were so scared whatever and I swear to god I feel like that fucked up like you know threat made us all work so hard and we're such overachievers and we like nailed our academics and then the boys in the family are like the opposite they just have like zero ambition um Ooh, interesting. zero drive and it was always the opposite like my dad would be like please like come on I'm, I, i'll like whatever i'm pushing you to where i'm pushing you to do this and the guys are just like they could care less they self-sabotage and I was like, it's so weird because I feel like all of my siblings have really low self-worth, but the way it manifests with the guys, the boys, is, yeah. is through that, like, low ambition, low career ambition, low, um, like, aspirations. Uh, and then with the girls, it manifests in romantically, in horrible, mm. horrible partners that they choose. <laughs> so you have two sisters and then you also have brothers? Yes, I have two brothers. Two yeah. brothers. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's funny that... The progressive hippie in me is, like, you know, if I ever have kids, they'll be raised with this, like, really hands-off approach and a lot of, like, questions and not a lot of instruction. But then you, I mean, not that I want them to, to I, I don't want their, uh, you know, drive to be a fear-based drive, but then I hear stuff like that and I'm like, I don't know, like, I want them yeah, to succeed. <laughs> that maybe I should be like you know these things that I want you to do I could take them away and then they'll be like motivated to do it it's pretty it's 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 kind of like human nature like if you're a teacher and you're like well I don't want to teach you about matter they're gonna be like no please please teach us what liquid and gases and solids are I wonder (laughs) if that would work if a teacher was just like I don't want to teach you about matter yeah and they were like please and she's like no I don't think the kids are... Actually, who knows? Kids are dummy fools. I don't know. That's the thing, right? You have no idea which way it's going to go, but I, like, you only in hindsight can you look back and be like, it actually kind of worked in a really messed up way. That's so funny. Okay, I could talk to you forever about all of this, uh, but I'm going to talk about Ben Feldman because we're here. 
I think, okay, so first of all, this is just a suspicion. So uh, we're going to talk about Ben Feldman, who is a very handsome uh, young actor from uh, Potomac. Where is he from? He's from Maryland. Um, oh, sorry. I thought you meant the show. Yes, Maryland. From which? From which? Which show? <laughs> Superstore. Superstore. Um, yeah. NBC Superstore. Superstore. Yeah. That's what he, is that how you knew him? That's how I discovered him, yes. Okay. I have a theory that you picked, like, I think you might be my first guest who picked somebody, like, based on being thirsty for them. Um, 100%. Yeah, okay, cool. That's what I thought. Because, he, like, he's very cool. I, I, I'm I, very interested in him. I loved Mad Men so much, and he played, like, such an interesting character on Mad Men. Mm. But he's not somebody that, like, jumps out when I, I'm, like, I don't think everyone knows him. But I'm like, she picked him because he's so cute. He's, he's so, so cute. sexy. He's so cute. He's just a <laughs> little... He's not as little as I thought he was. He's 5'8". He's 5'8", like, yeah. I like little guys. Little? It's pretty little, and I, I like little guys. Okay, like, not gotcha, too gotcha. little, but, like, a little little. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, um, tell me why you picked him. Okay, so I basically started watching Superstore in my quarantine pandemic, and then, um, and then, yeah, he's the, one of the main co-stars. He's the co-star on Superstore. And I was like, this guy is just so cute. He's also, like, I feel like his real character, I think he's probably not as preppy and, like, um, selfless as yeah. his actual character in real life. But I was like, his character is so, um, like, just really, like, emotionally healthy, so in touch with his emotions, like... He, you know, he has all the right reactions and he's so supportive of, um, of America, um, who's like his, his co-star. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, I just, I don't know, in my mind, I was like, this is, so like, I haven't dated any white guys yet, but I was like, this is probably some, like the, the type of white guy that I would date because he's like very emotionally healthy you know, he's not, like, no toxic masculinity, whatever. And his whole shtick in, like, the show is that he always wants to fight for a cause. Like, he knows that he's, like, the typical white man um, privilege. Yeah. And he's always wanting to go around and, like, be an ally so much so that it's, like, annoying sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, like, puts his foot in his mouth other times and everyone's like, stop it. But, like, he knows that he is that. So... Um, I don't know, I just, I found it, like, really charming, and I found it, like, in my mind, I was like, this is the type of white dude that I would date, um, and then also, and then I, like, looked him up, and I saw that he was, like, married with kids, I was like, of course, wasn't that healthy, you know, they're just, like, taken up right away, or they, like, commit really quickly, whatever, and then, uh, then I started to have, like, really intense quarantine dreams, like, I just, I don't know, for, like, a few weeks, at least, I think now it's, like, subsided a bit, um, and I had, like, like really aggressive dream not aggressive dreams but just like they were so elaborate Vivid, and persistent yeah. that I was dating him like I truly genuinely thought he was my boyfriend <laughs> and I was like he's nice. asking me all the right questions he was like caring about me <laughs> okay we're already off to a great start <coughs> I think that you so all the things you like about him on the show so I haven't full disclosure seen the show but okay. um I think that he's very similar to his character in yeah. real life. And in fact, okay, wait, I'm going to read something that he said in an interview. Um, okay. First of all, he's, it seems like a really great cat. Like, it seems like a cast that really actually likes each other. 
Yes. Which is really cute. What did he say? He said, there's something about this cast. Every single cast has a couple bad eggs or the person that everyone is making fun of or doesn't like. And unless it's me, I haven't found that in this cast yet. It's all just cool, great people. He said, okay, it started out as this character that was Justin Spitzer's creation, who's the series uh, Mm -hmm. creator. Mm -hmm. He was this bumbling elitist in a fish-out-of-water thing. But the more the writers find similarities and parallels between my personality and this character, it's just turning into a roast of me. They, they write the character to him quite a lot. And he is, like, super obsessed with causes because his dad was really, um, basically really reinforced that if you are a celebrity with any status or money, if you don't use it to give to charity all the time, you're a piece of shit. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so he's, like, really into uh, using his money for some kind of purpose because otherwise yeah. he would feel like a piece of shit, which I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so great. Um, okay, there's. I was watching the bloopers of the show, and then there's one. There's one episode where him and the other character named Garrett, they're like fighting with each other. They're trying to up each other in terms of um, how they want. Uh, I think it was another coworker's like um, how they want her wedding to be. So uh, Garrett was going to look the traditional way, like he was like holding up a white dress white everything white whatever and then like ben ben's character was coming in and he was like um you know a green dress and like wooden you know wooden whatever pieces and all that stuff wooden shoes yeah exactly (laughs) and then (laughs) exactly and then garrett like he he like told him off at one point he was like He's like, this guy just wants you to have a wedding in, like, a barn with, like, whatever, with just, you know, lights off of, like, Pinterest. And he said, he said like, a bunch of stuff. And then Ben Feldman, like, paused for a second. And he was like, he just described my actual <laughs> wedding. <laughs> it was so funny. He just caught him off guard. That really clocks a lot. He's, like, really, um, he, he's really into throwing parties. And he's super, like, super social and extroverted, which is also really, like, adorable and sexy because I'm not. So I always, like, yeah. love when men are. <laughs> And um, he threw this amazing party for Valentine's Day, um, maybe like a year ago. And okay. he had um, he had like 200 people at his house, which is apparently like a super rare thing in Hollywood. And yeah. he had like tarot card readers and a psychic, and oh. um, like he likes throwing parties. And he mm. and I bet you his wedding was super fun and super cool. Interesting. Yeah, probably, and probably like you know. So intimate and not, like, over the top or anything like that. Um, I bet it's what for a green dress. Actually, you know what? My friend wore a green wedding dress, and it was beautiful. It was, really? Yeah, it was so, it looked so good. And her her wedding was, like, in a barn with, oh like, the God, Pinterest light. But it, it was, she has great taste. It was really beautiful. Um, gotcha, gotcha. But, yeah. Wow. It's a thing. Yeah, and then, okay, what was his character in Mad Men like? Okay, have you seen, you haven't seen Mad Men? I haven't seen it, no. So this is... Okay, okay. So, in Mad Men, his character is a typically neurotic Jewish man from the 60s. Okay. Um, he actually, spoiler alert for everybody, yeah. okay? He actually ends up being, like, mentally ill. Um, okay. But originally he comes in, he's, like, this super, super smart, super neurotic guy. And what I found so amazing about him is, like, when you first see him, when I first saw his face on the show, I was like, this... This is, like, January Jones casting. Not that January Jones isn't good, but she's not, like, a character actress. She's beautiful, and she's good in the show. But when I saw his face and how adorable he was, I was like, this guy's going to be boring. Gotcha. And then he transformed. Like, he pulls you into a time 
that I can't even believe he can mimic so well because he didn't live during it. I mean, I guess I didn't either. But, like, yeah. he brings... I want to find a better reference than Woody Allen because Woody Allen's gross. But, like... Yeah. You can imagine what that person would look like and sound like when they were younger. He, like, really brings alive Jewish New York 60s energy so, so, so well. He, like, did the yeah. voice. Like, he did, like... I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But the kind of Jewish accent. Like, yeah. the Brooklyn Jewish accent. Um, and actually, are you going to watch the show? Because I don't want to, like, spoil anything. Um, I will, but I, honestly, I don't mind. I don't mind spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then in that case, I have to bring this up because it's, like, one of the most important things about Ben Feldman. So his character, whose name is Michael Ginsburg on the show. Um, okay. I don't remember the exact trajectory of the storyline, but basically, um, he's, like, not doing well for a while mentally. Like, he thinks... How, do, how does he put it? Basically, he thinks something's, like, trapped in his body and... He's kind of, like, starting to lose it, and then all of a sudden he just feels better one day, and uh, he's like, yeah, I'm all good now. And then I think he's talking to uh, Elizabeth Moss' character, and she's like, oh, great, did something happen? And he's like, oh, I cut my nipples off. I just needed to let out um, something was trapped inside of me, and I needed to, like, let it out through my nipples, and he, like, gives her his nipples. <laughs> no! <laughs> and honestly, I, like, when I first saw it, it was shocking to me. And now I'm like, yeah, I get it. Nipples are stifling. They're, you know, they, they, my nipples are keep me all trapped up and locked up too, you know? But in, I, I was thinking back to it. I was like, I get, you know, I guess I get the logic there. But it was really like a, it was one of those Mad Men moments where um, it was so like dark and sinister and creepy and brought the 60s alive in this really interesting way because it just with all the new technology and like, like a lot of new things were happening. And so there was a lot of unknown and things lurking mm. beneath the surface. Anyways, that was his character on Mad Men. <laughs> wow. That's so wild. <clears throat> I'm guessing pretty different from uh, Joe non Superstore. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. He's like way more, well, I guess, I mean, mentally healthy, but I feel like everybody probably back then was some level of like unwell and unsupported <laughs> you know what I mean that's a very good point yeah there was like therapy but it was all psychoanalysis and not a lot of like behavioral therapy that's yeah so it was mostly like meds and yeah they couldn't really understand a lot of um like the issues or what was happening um and unless you of course you know be dubbed um mentally ill then you're like you know, like CAMH was called, and I work at CAMH, it was called like the asylum for the mentally insane until like a, a recent years, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Like it's pretty disturbing, but nobody wants to go to an asylum, so. It was even built more like an asylum until recently. Like the, like yeah. the, the new construction is Well, great, they have that but... wall on Queen Street, right? Yeah. Like to stop people from like escaping and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Insane. Not that long ago. Yeah. It's insane. But, um, that's, okay, that's wild. If anything, this is, like, selling me Mad Men more. I'm like, I should watch it's it. A, it's a, I think I'm about to do my, like, annual rewatch because it's so good. It's so Oh, my god. And that's also just one. Oh, he won an Emmy for that guest starring role because he was so crazy good, which is where yeah. I fell in love with him. And then I followed his career a little and then sort of lost track of him, which is why I was super excited that you chose him because he does have a really... He has a really cool career. Like, he's done a lot of... He did, um, like, a Lifetime series. And then he okay. also did, like, you know, Mad Men, which is, like, an AMC prestige drama. And then, like, a classic NBC sitcom with... Uh, what you call it? Yeah. And then a bunch of indie movies. Like, he's, he's really run the gamut of different 
things and he's always great. He's just like a good yeah. actor. He got his start on Broadway. Um and he really? was, yeah, he was um the understudy in the Broadway version of The Graduate. Okay. With uh Kathleen Turner. Was it Kathleen Turner? Yeah, Kathleen Turner, Alicia Silverstone, and he and Jason Biggs, who he understudied for. And okay. funnily enough, so that character is Jewish. Jason Biggs is not Jewish. He just looks and seems so Jewish. Um, but okay. Ben Feldman is Jewish, uh, and he's yeah, the yeah. understudy. But anyways, so he's like a he's like a legit actor. I always gotcha. think about people that, aren't that's what I noticed also about him in uh, in Superstars. <laughs> like he's just such, such a good actor, even though it's like um, I know Superstars like comedy and like that's like a different type of acting and whatever. But I could just tell like I was like, no, they're like legit actors like the two co-stars I was like they're really great oh I thought like sitcoms is actually where you have to be maybe not the best actor but you but like you have to be a really good actor in dramas too but if you are not a good actor in sitcoms it really shows because Mm. you have to make more uh, extreme choices sometimes more comical mm. choices choices that are not grounded in like a lot of reality sometimes true and if you don't sell it you know what I mean okay yeah 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 Wow, that's so interesting. Um, back to what you were saying about Ben Feldman's character in Mad Men mm-hmm. and sort of, like, bringing the Brooklyn Jewish um, 60s character alive. Have you ever seen uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yeah. And what do you think about that? So, I've seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I will say something I like a lot about it, and I don't know if you'll relate to this, is I actually, even though it's clearly not the exact same thing, there are a lot of things about it that actually speak to what it's like to be a woman in comedy now mm-hmm. even yes, though it yeah. was very like i'm trying to remember, it's been a while since i've seen it but it just a few things about being like a road comic as a woman um which she yeah. is and how how you do so well at home and you're bit in your big metropolitan city and then you go on the road to these like smaller towns where people don't really want you to succeed as a woman and how absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. eviscerating it is for your gut and your spirit um and i think I think, again, I think she does a pretty good job of bringing that character alive. I don't know. I don't know if I care about this for real or if I've just let enough people get this in my head. She's not Jewish, that actress. She's not Jewish. I know. I looked it up and I was like, excuse you. (laughs) It's a pretty stereotypical portrayal. But that is what they sounded like. Like, that Mm. is what even my friend and I always make fun of this. Does it upset you, by the way, that she's not Jewish? Um, no, it doesn't upset me that she's not Jewish. I will say something that does generally bother me is I, it is so rare that Jewish women play Jewish women because I'm trying to find the most delicate way of saying this. They cast swarthy looking Christian women as Jews a lot, but they, they don't often cast real Jewish women because Jewish women do look like Jewish women a lot of the time. And we don't, you know, we don't have tiny noses. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I I just, I wish that more Jewish women played Jewish women, whereas I find Jewish men play Jewish men a lot of the time because they're allowed to not be, like, perfect looking. Um, But I I mean, like, I mean, it's the same with Arabs, right? I mean, Bob, like, obviously there's zero zero (laughs) Arab representation in Hollywood, like, literally zero aside from, like, Aladdin. Um, But I feel like you could still, I don't know, like, yeah, you could still find... um, like character or actors or actresses within the the industry to to fit your beauty standards somewhat like do you yeah. know what I mean um yeah 
I don't know. I like. I, I, I obviously can't speak for you, but I feel like I would be annoyed if. Um, and, and it happens so much. Like Muslim women are never playing Muslim women on screen. Not that there are even any real major roles with Muslim women. Well, yeah. But um, but yeah, like I would get annoyed. Like I would be like, you couldn't find like you know a Jewish woman to play to play this role. Well, I think it's also like. Um, you know, we're t- there's there's obviously a difference between ethnicity and religion, but I think what yeah. people don't realize is like those things those two things are tied quite tightly. Um, yeah. Jews, uh, this is something I explain to people and they never know or believe me, but I'm like Jews are an ethnicity, like they we- are because it's traced through the mother's lineage, right? Like through the mom. It's traced through the mom, like like in terms of religion, but then also. Um, we like there are genetic diseases that only Jews can get. And, and like, mm-hmm. we do share a bloodline, you know? Yes. And I and yeah, there is yeah. a, a Jewish, you know, not all Jews look the same by any stretch, but, like, there is a Jewish look sometimes. Mm-hmm. I would just love to see a little bit more on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think she does a really, really, really good job uh, portraying that. And, like, I will say, even my friend and I make fun of this a lot, but, like, for some reason, our grandparents and great-grandparents all sounded like that, even though none of them are from Brooklyn. They just Dead. sound like that. <laughs> I'm like, are you putting this on? Um, yeah. But, you know, she does a good job. I will say that. What do you think of the show? Um, yeah, I really liked it. Uh, I felt like her character was a little annoying sometimes. Like, I just, I'm not for that hu- type of humor that's, like, really silly and just, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, she just, like, makes puns with all the words and whatever. I love, love, love her manager, who I think is Jewish, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the co-star. Yeah, exactly. Um, Alex Borstein. Yeah, she's, she's like, so great. She's just, And then her, remember her speech, her acceptance speech? Like, she said how her, I think, like, her grandma or something, like, escaped from the Holocaust and stood up to the, the soldier. Yeah, no, did you hear that? Like, no. she said, like, my grandma stood out of line and stood up to the soldier, um so that I can have this opportunity. And she basically said, so, like, next time you want to stand up against authority, like, do it. And I feel so I emotional just hearing that. Like, literally, you just, like, goosebumps hearing amazing. that. Even now, I'm, like, almost, like, tearing I up. I know. But, I, just, um, I feel teary. That's really amazing to hear. Yeah, it's so incredible. And because she won an award. I don't know if it was, like, a Golden Globe or what, what, what it was that I she forget, won. But, yeah, she did um, win. She's great in that show. Yeah. She's so good. I should also say I'm extremely spoiled by like Jewish representation in media. Like, mm, like yeah. <laughs> we are a small group of people who get represented a hell of a lot in Hollywood. Who get a lot of representation? Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. With, uh, yeah, for sure. I think like, um, and 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 obviously it's like happening more and more now, which is really great. But yeah, like I think there's still such a long way for Arab representation, for Muslim representation, which, like you said, is not the same thing. Like, um. There's there's a difference between their religion and ethnicity and stuff, but there's just like nothing. Like my friend yesterday did a uh, a sketch, like just like a spoof video of like Marvel's first Arab um, superhero, super, whatever Superman and stuff. Yeah, superhero. Oh, and then funny. everyone was like, "Well, there's Miss Marvel, who's uh, a Muslim, like Pakistani." And he's like, "Pakistani's not Arab. <laughs> he's he's not Muslim. He's the." Uh, um, he's Iraqi Catholic, I believe. And then his, um, partner who like co-star on it is Egyptian Coptic. So both of them are Arab, but they're not Muslim, but everyone's like, no, there's already a Marvel, like Pakistani because she's Muslim. 
And they're like, isn't it the same thing? And they're like, no! Everyone's like, we did yeah. it. We already gave you guys a thing. Exactly. Then they were like, we have Storm. And, and the st he's like, Storm? That's what's played by Halle Berry. Literally nobody knows anything. <laughs> Also, it's just wild. there are so many fucking Muslim people. Like, there's no excuse. <laughs> I know, I know. You'll find you'll find some Muslim actors if you'd like, or writers. More importantly, you're not more importantly, but equally, writers, right? Yeah, like yes, people exactly, who can tell the exactly. stories. Yeah. That's another thing I was gonna say. Like, um, if the shows are written by Muslims and then they cast like non-Muslims, kind of like Rami, mm -hmm. um, then that's you know that's way more acceptable than. Uh, than if the writers were not Muslim, because it would just be like, okay, well, how, how are you speaking for us, you know? Like that show, um, Tiny Pretty Things or whatever, on Netflix, uh, had a Muslim character, and yeah. he's, like, praying. <laughs> I don't know, he was praying in a weird-ass way, and then, like, mid-prayer, it, like, turned into this ballet dance and, like, a wet dream almost, and we were like, come on! Just one prayer scene! Just one normal one! Ew, we just want wait. a normal <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. He was praying, and then it turned into him doing ballet? Yeah, because they're ballet dancers, so he just did a ballet oh. dance, and then his, like, girlfriend who was, like, in a coma, like, came to life, and then it just turned into, yeah. like, a wet dream, basically. Listen, it's just too much, and it's same I with, have like, more problems Muslim. with that scene than just the misrepresentation of Muslims. That's a insane thing you just described. Exactly! <laughs> Everybody on TikTok, for example, will see that scene, and they're like, you know what? Forget it. We just don't want representation anymore if this is what it's gonna be, you Yeah, know? keep your ghosts and, and ballet then... to yourself. <laughs> exactly! And then, like, any Muslim character on earth that exists on on the screen, it within two episodes she must take her hijab off because a white boy looked at her. You know, oh it's my just God. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. necessary. You know, just the why is is what's different in every show. But yeah. um and then there was one, I think nine one one Lone Star or whatever, they had an episode where there was a hijabi woman on it and then she like did a backflip or something and then her hijab flew off and then like her luscious like silky hair was like whatever in the air and then and then the guys like guarded her while she put her hijab back on i was like this is so unrealistic okay her hair would not be blow dried okay, it would be a mess <laughs> that's a great point yeah it would, why would she why would she style it when she's well, just gonna go she knew she was gonna be on screen that day you know in her in her True. inner world yeah yeah. That is exactly. so cringeworthy to think about. Because <clears throat> it's like, it's like you're allowed to be, you're allowed to like be a Muslim and like you're allowed to be like a practicing Muslim up until the climax of the movie when you have to be like, you know, a sexy Liberated. leading woman, you know. Then, exactly. and then you could be like, you know, one of exactly. us. And then, but you know, exactly. you'll still be like Muslim, but like just like, just Muslim enough to like have hair out. <laughs> exactly. Or like, you were Muslim when we liberated you now. Yeah. Um, also, like, the hijab was just there to enhance the striptease. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You, like, like, more inaccessible. And now we you have just black. needed an extra like, layer of just... clothing to remove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is exactly. so funny. Um, okay, let's keep talking about Ben. So, Okay, 100%. Uh, he's a Gemini, just so you know. Um, he's 40 years old, but looks 30, if that. He literally looks 25. Yeah, he's like a little bit sweet baby. He, I wish we could, um, I was like, is there a way we can show him? I Like, he's so attractive. I think that is integral to who he is as a person. So I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. quickly, like, he, he has like she big, beautiful eyes. We can eyes. show him, right, if we share screen. Do we want to do Let's that? Let's look at him for a second so we can describe him properly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> to our listeners. Okay. Also, who's his wife and how did he meet her? I want to know everything. Okay. So his wife is named Michelle M Mullis. Also, we have to give 
Okay, made we have to give like a 10 minute appreciation for just his hair. Isn't He's it so, so nice and just like thick and full? And like shiny. Like, wow. And I think he has like like a highlight, like very subtle highlights. Um, oh. Okay, and look, I, I can't tell. He has like big, huge, beautiful eyes, dimples. Yes. And, and cheekbones, his, great cheekbones. Eyelashes are like curtains. <laughs> I I really yeah he is um he's a special special looking boy. Like, wow, he's really cute. We really we really like this forty year old boy. We really like this forty year old boy, as forty year old <laughs> child. Um, okay, here's his wife. I'm gonna pull up a photo of her and I'm gonna t- tell you. Okay, Michelle Mullet. Yes. She's a cutie. Okay. She is a uh, an arc. She went to interior design school. Is that what you call that? She's, like, she does interior design and architecture, among other things. She's, like, multi-talented. Um, okay. They have two children who are three years old. The boy Charlie's three, and the girl uh, Effie is... She's born in 2019, so she's little. Okay. Um, and his parents are both... I'm going to take my screen away. We've seen Michelle. His parents... So his parents, you said his dad was famous? Did I say that? Or did you say his dad just said, um, if celebrities have any sort of clout and money, then they better be. That's what it was. Yeah. Bas- yeah, yeah. Basically, his dad was just like, if you ever, or no, I don't think he said it specifically about him, but just he, when he spoke about the culture of celebrity was like, um, if you're going to have that kind of money and reach and clout, like you're truly a piece of shit if you don't uh, constantly donate or like help out those less yes. fortunate. Um, his parents were both in advertising, which is cool because he got to do Mad Men, which is all about the world of advertising. Oh, yes, um, yes, yeah. And he was also a fan of the show, which is cool. Uh, his mother is not Jewish. His father is. Um, what else do I know about his childhood? It's like, that's like the gist. Um, but God. it seems, oh, his, oh, that's what I want to say about his mom. His mom is, um, his mom was kind of like a witchy lady. Like, she did, she was like a tarot, she did, like, red tarot and, like, fancied herself a witch, which I usually like men like that because they are not so, uh, elitist or, like, snobby when they grow up with parents who are, like, a little weird. (laughs) Mmm, interesting. Can you explain that a little bit more? So, especially with Jewish men. Okay. Yeah. Like, am I going to put this out of my mouth? We'll find out. I find... Okay, I... Oh, yeah, this is bad. Whatever, I'll cut it if I don't want to say it. But I have stopped dating Jewish men. Okay. At least the ones that I grew up with, who grew up with, like, privilege and, you know, like, wealth and a lot of family support. Um, Their parents are typically, like, overachievers. They usually are in some kind of professional industry... Um, they expected their children to be in some kind like to be lawyers or doctors or whatever. And I just find it makes for a culture of like ruthless capitalism and competition and um, like, okay, for example, I went to summer camp when I was a kid <clears throat> and I honestly believe that parents sent their kids to this particular camp to like literally network for the future. Like it was all people that knew each other. It was a like we the the camp was way overpriced and it was like you were told to be friends with certain people so that you could like network for business for the future Mm. and not to say that that's like all jews but there is i for good reason it's a culture of like carving our path in this uh in north america and making sure that we have like wealth that we guard and we're careful with 
fair enough. Okay, we have a good reason for that. But I just, I like the artsy, like, liberally Jews who have yeah. at least one parent who was just, like, a bit more free-spirited. Um, yeah. Because they're not spoiled aggressive assholes. I might cut that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? There's a huge population of the Muslim community that's like that. That's, I call them the conservative Muslims, like the ones that uh, vote conservatively. And um, they do that because they want like tax benefits and whatever. And, um, and yeah, they're like really elitist and they love uh, wealth and they love to just like suck up to anybody who has wealth or any sort of like level of fame or whatever. And it's like, just why stop? You know, what's really interesting. Ben Feldman's character in superstore comes from a family like that, like uh, with really strict parents. And they think that he's in medical school and he's actually lying to them. Sorry, spoiler alert. He's actually lying to them the whole time that he, um, is in medical school, even though he was actually in business school and he dropped out and then he started working at the grocery, at the superstore. Is his character explicitly Jewish in that show? Yes. Okay. And, yeah. And and his brother is like typical what you're describing, like just such an asshole who like, you know, um just thinks like the world is his and he's like misogynistic and he's, you know, uh like all he does is pick on um Jonah, which is Ben Feldman's character, and just puts him down and whatever, whatever, um, until like his girlfriend like stands up <laughs> to him and is just like, What the fuck? And then the whole family kinda like falls apart because they find out the dad's been having an affair, and then he's his, he's also had an affair, and like both their women leave them, and it's just dramatic. Um, but I totally like I totally understand what you mean. So you're saying like if you have like a, a hippie or like some like weird weird like unconventional parents, yeah. basically, then usually um, you'll grow up to be like a little less entitled and. You'll have, like, a different upbringing. A little bit. I mean, listen, I don't have a lot of faith in men as a whole at this point, (laughs) okay? Like, even if we had a witch mom. But I want to stack my odds, right? So it's, like, at this point, anything that can put you, that can inch you up a little bit above people who are just ruthless misogynist and I do think like you were saying earlier like we we mimic our parents we the trauma that gets instilled into us whether it's like legit severe trauma or just small little trauma like uh uh impacting incidents in our childhood it's so hard to undo that shit later it really is and so you you know I I don't believe it's impossible but it's hard yeah Um, and so I do at this point like the way my future partner if I ever have one was raised or brought up is is super important to me it is you know what's like really wild is um the more I'm like going through therapy the more I'm like realizing that um trauma is kind of like poverty uh like it's nobody's fault if you have it but if you have it it's just like so much more uh, is working against you and there's just so much more that you actively have to overcome yeah. you know daily yeah. and uh once again it's nobody's fault and it sucks that you have it I mean it is people's fault right like with poverty it's society's fault and it's uh probably racism and discrimination and a bunch of other things and with trauma it's uh, your caretaker's fault yeah. <laughs> you know and so but it is what it is like you know I, I I think in the beginning when I first started to gain a lot of awareness I was like um I was really resentful against my parents and my caretakers like you know how did this happen at your hands and I'm just like really you know like you should have done better and you should do better right now and whatever and I think like eventually I just got to a place and now where I'm just I'm just like sad like you know because I talk to women for example who are like 
let's say super confident they have a lot of self-worth and they'll be like I don't people always ask me why I'm so confident I don't know why I was just born this way I was born giving zero fucks and then five minutes later they'll be like yeah my parents are so healthy and they loved me and they have such a great relationship I'm like that is why are you dumb you think it's happening they are out of dumb. nowhere they are dumb yeah they can't <laughs> they, they can right? afford to be dumb they're allowed to be dumb exactly and they take credit for their healthiness i'm like no you don't know how many you know what exactly it was that emotionally built you and created you into being like this and um it just sucks you know like i've never had to worry about money fortunately but so many people have had to and uh i mean i I worry about it now in like a very broke like comedian um millennial type of way but like growing up I never did and uh and it's like yeah it's like that with trauma too like it's unfortunate that when people have it and then when they do it's like you actively have to work and and I was telling my friend I was like I don't know if it ever actually goes away or if it's just like your awareness and your recognition of it is quicker and then your bounce back time from like let's say ending you know unhealthy relationships or whatever is just faster like the recovery maybe is a little bit faster. I think it depends on the kind of, kind of trauma. Like, if we're talking, like, complex trauma, I don't know that it goes away. Like, or, or it, I don't know that it, that it goes away, but I think you can definitely live, like, a significantly healthier life when you're in therapy. Um, I think if you have, like, a tra- like a traumatic incident, it is a little bit easier to... I don't know if you can, can ever eradicate it. That's actually a really good question. But I think it's a little bit easier to deal with. Like, it's, like, a lot easier to do exposure therapy and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's such an interesting analogy. I I was going to say two things. And even therapy, like, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on it at this point, you know? Like, that's not an easy thing for people to access. Yeah. Um, And it's it's not even easy for me to access, but, like, I've made it a priority. I'm like, I know how much more elevated the quality of my life is uh, and my mental health, which directly correlates to the quality of my life so uh i'm just gonna do that and i I, like i hadn't even realized how much of a patriarchal world we live in where it's like the same events that happen to you and that happen to a man like significantly different in how it emotionally impacts you because men they're taught like the whole world is there is if they lose a relationship or they lose whatever like it's just it's not the end of the world like there's still so much more going for them and this is their world whereas like for women it could feel like your whole world is ending you know when you lose something like that or whatever so that is generally something that's so interesting about trauma is that trauma is not trauma is not uh, an event that occurs in a vacuum some people are primed for trauma and some are not Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and I think, I think that confuses people too sometimes and it makes people wildly non-empathetic because they're like, well, this happened to me and I don't have any trauma. And so this other person yes. is weak or what? It's like, mm, no, they just were primed yeah. for trauma and you weren't. That's it. You don't get to dictate yeah, yeah, what yeah. causes or what causes or doesn't cause trauma. Um, so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. And that speaks a lot to, like, being able to respect other people's experiences, which is a huge reason why, let's say, allyship and anti-racism is not as strong as it should be, because people just can't relate when they're not going through the experience. It's like, you never will, so you just need to take their word for it, you know? It is, um, it is unbelievably wild how really empathetic we are as people and really not empathetic we are as people. Like... I think empathy in a way is self, like, I think that empathy evolved to keep the species alive, which is inherently selfish. Um, Interesting. Like, I think empathy is adaptive and it helps mm-hmm. us as, as, a, as a race, as a human race. Oh, I hate the term human race, but you know what I mean? It, it does help yeah. us survive as a species. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, no, it whatever. Basically, what you're saying about anti-racism is like, yes, you're never gonna you're never gonna go through it. More importantly, you might also not see it. Like, even if you're next to the person, you're not primed to pick up on those cues. Yeah, just believe it. Because yeah. why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, yeah. Because why wouldn't yeah. you? You listen to white people all the time. White people validate the shit out of each other constantly. <gasps> oh my yeah. god, really? Someone stole your sandwich at work? That's awful. You know. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I salute you, and I just, wow. And I thank you for telling me. Like, mm-hmm. just do that, but for real things. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, like, not that hard. I mean, Ugh. easier said than done. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you feel like empathy <laughs> helped us um, survive? I'm interested in that. Um, I think that, uh, like, taking care of more people allows a wider gene pool, which is healthier for the species. And so, like... If if we take care of people, if we took care of each other, if we, like, ban- mended each other up when we were sick, that allowed for uh, more people to come along with us as we traveled, like, as we were nomadic people, which kept mm. the gene pool a little more diversified, which keeps people healthier. When you have, like, a really True. small gene pool, you have a lot more health problems. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just, I, I think that, so then we selected out people who were not empathetic, because they, like, wouldn't have, or, like... Or, and again, this is just me. me or they themselves wouldn't have wanted to be part of, like, the herd or whatever. Yeah, so or, they... like, socialized, or, or, like, social um, pariahs. Like, if you were antisocial, if everyone mm-hmm. else was, like, social and inclusive and took care of each other and you were, and you were not, then you yeah. just likely would have been ostracized from the group. And so... Gotcha, gotcha. Again, who fucking knows? interesting interesting yeah i just have thoughts and then i say them so confidently and then i i have to (laughs) rationalize it um but i was gonna say something oh i also think just about um trauma being like poverty which is such a such an interesting comparison um it is like i mean just what you said about having to spend money and time you have to sink resources into therapy if you have trauma or or mental health issues um like if you really have serious mental health issues and trauma, you absolutely have to be in therapy. People don't understand. If you're not in therapy or you're not, like, doing something for it, you'll die. It's a real problem. Yeah. People, like, yeah, overdose yeah, yeah. and kill themselves. It's a real fucking health problem. And you sink yeah. money and time into that, which does put you at a literal, like, not poverty, but it takes your financial status down for sure. And something that's, like, yeah. really... Uh, this is something I worked through uh, when I first got sober, but... um have you done any DBT? Um, is that, so, uh, I've done CBT, but I haven't done, no, I haven't done, um, can you describe what, yeah. what that is? I feel like you would like DBT so much. So CBT is amazing. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is yes. basically like, um, we change our thoughts, our thoughts, our behaviors, and our emotions are all yes. like impacting each other at all times. And if we can change our thinking and, uh, have it be a little more correlated to reality, whatever you can the yes. three, uh, impact each other. DBT is basically like, yeah, cool. It'd be great if we could change our thoughts and we'll work on that. But in the meantime, um, thoughts occur and we have really powerful, strong, dysregulating emotions. Let's regulate those emotions in the meantime. It's called dialectical behavior, behavioral therapy. And the dialectical part of that is basically, um, the idea that two things can be true at the same time. And that that oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. so important to 
uh, keep at the forefront of our minds all the time to, like, function with good mental health. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, he loves me, or I love him, and he treats me poorly. Those yes, yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. two opposing things, but they're not. And Yeah, I think, I think, like, I've done that a lot just regularly, like, in therapy, to be able to, like, accept situations as they are, and be able, yeah, exactly like what you said, like, accept that these two things can exist at the same time, both of them can be true, and you can walk away. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to do on on uh, impulse. Like, some people, we think yes. we think that we're rational enough to do that, but some to some people that feels irrational. And I hear a lot of people say stuff like, um, you know, when they're criticizing especially the social justice movement, it's like, how can this be true if that's true? It's like sometimes conflicting things are true. Mm-hmm. The reason I thought about it is, um, yes, in, in terms of, like, trauma or parental abuse or neglect, like, at the extremes, yes, yeah. a lot of people get us to this point. Like, yes, a lot of people caused this trauma or got us to this point where we're not doing well. And we are only, only we can pull ourselves out of it. Like, ultimately, yes. we are responsible for moving forward with our lives. And, like, that feels unfair and it feels like those are two opposite things, but they're not. They're both true. And, like, they really exactly. are both true, you know? Exactly. Well, even when we talk about empathy, I'm like, I feel like I've gone to a point now where I can empathize with, like, almost anybody, um, even if it's on the other end of, like, what's happening to me. Uh, however, like, there gets a point where, like, you know, I can empathize with Donald Trump, but then, it, like, there gets to a point where it's like, okay, I understand, like, all of these things happen to you, but, like, it's your responsibility now to do better yeah. and to seek the help that you need. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you're right. Like, both of those things are true. Yeah. And I mean... Especially, like, I think that's so generous that you can empathize with almost anybody. That's (laughs) unbelievable. But there are certainly some people where I'm like, uh, there are some people in some situations and some types of people where when I empathize with them and I'm like, wow, look at all the burdens you've had to overcome just to get here. I I can empathize. You, You still have, you still alone are responsible for, like, um, not, not for solving all of the issues in the world, but simply for, like, your own uh, way of moving forward within them. Um, yeah. but then you look at certain people like Donald Trump is a good example. Sure. You can empathize, um, with why he is the way he is. Sure. But, um, he has all the resources to not be that way now. Exactly. He has the resources, yeah. you know? And in exactly. fact, I sometimes find people with a lot of, especially with a lot of wealth who have, um, severe mental health issues, they don't get, uh, help cause they don't need to. They don't need to. Oh, Interesting. They have money. They can just they don't they don't need to hold down a job, which is can be a motivating force for wellness. Mm. They can just there there's no good reason, you know. Um True. Especially if like let's say they're finding their romantic partners through their financial appeal. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Like so so many things are there's not the same stakes. So like why yeah. be, why be well? Um, okay. I'll say a few more things about Ben Feldman. 100%. And then all that. <laughs> so we already, well, we covered a bit. We talked about his uh, Broadway run. Um, we talked about uh, the two biggest roles he had probably, which are um, uh, Mad Men and Superstore. He also did, did you watch yeah. Silicon Valley? Um, Just like a couple of episodes here and there. Was he on that? He was on that. I didn't see him on it, but I bet he was cute. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now I need to make what are the indie movies he was on I'm interested to know that this is actually the most interesting one 
that well, we don't have to go through all of them. I'll just talk about the one that I thought that was was the most interesting. So it was okay. called. Hold on, I have to find it because it's a very funny name. Um, for the play. Okay, it was called When Do We Eat? It was in okay. two thousand and five, and it was about a Jewish family's Passover seder. It was like very Jewish. It's funny. He he does. He said he doesn't identify as being super super Jewish. Like he is, but he, it's not a big part of his identity. But he got yeah. casted a lot of. He, he's been cast in a lot of stuff where he is explicitly Jewish. Mm. Which even though we do get a lot of representation, uh, it's not often that it's so explicit. Anyways. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. So it was about. Oh wait, this is it. So it was about a Passover seder, uh, and he play the role of Zeke and then this is not an indie movie but I just think it's so important to mention he was in yeah. a Hillary Duff film <gasps> yeah. which one it was called The Perfect Man which you're gonna watch later right obviously yeah. now that you know <laughs> it was called The Perfect Man it's kind of okay so we played it was in 2005 it was with Chris Noth from uh, Sex and the City Mr. Big oh. and okay. Heather Lockyer yeah. and he played Hillary Duff's love interest um yeah yeah amazing remember the hillary yeah. duff era that was a time Do I remember that was the a hillary whole duff era? we were raised on that i'm convinced my cowlick came from trying to do this hillary duff puff that's how, that's how much i remember that era it's 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 embedded into my body oh my god okay, was, well, i'm writing down the movies the perfect man the perfect and man. um when do we eat when do we eat? When do we okay. eat? About the Jewish family's Passover Seder. I also love the name Ben Feldman because it's such a good Jew. Like, Ben Feldman is such a good Jew. You just hear the <laughs> accent, like, roll off your tongue. Um, it's such a Jewish name. Totally. Such a Jewish name. Okay, so he did Mad Men. He loved Mad Men, which I love. Like, he, he was a huge fan of the show before he did it. Um, okay. He also, like, kind of... He didn't really, like actually spill any real tea about the show but he did say there was a lot of like drama and gossip and that some people were secretly hated but he didn't say who well totally he also like insinuated that later in the interview that you just read where he said most cast or whatever have like two bad eggs clearly he was talking about well he's <laughs> a bit of a hater he, he's a little bit really? judgy which is fine not everyone's great i mean i don't think it's super healthy to like uh obsess about it more. Or talk yeah, about it too yeah, much, yeah. but I feel like sometimes in, cer- in certain industries, there's a bit too much, like, everyone's amazing and everyone's friends with each other. It's like, there's different mm-hmm. kinds of people. Really? Yeah, you yeah, you yeah. love everyone? I don't know if I believe that. Okay, quickly about his personal life. So, I said his parents were in advertising. His dad told him to be charitable. He, he yeah. seems like a chill dad. What else do we have? I think I think we covered, like, his essence and who he is. Um, Love it. So now I'm going to play a game with you called Two Truths and a Lie. And I'm going to tell you two things that are true about Ben Feldman and one thing that's a lie. And you're going to tell me what the lie is. Okay. Okay. She gets it. She's smart. Okay. (laughs) First of all, he was super into MySpace when it first came out. And he would get into a lot of fights with people on MySpace. Okay. That's one. I like your reaction to this one. Two. His bar mitzvah theme was Dazed and Confused at Ridgemont High, like which was like a mashup of Dazed and Confused and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And he had okay. life-size cutouts of Matthew McConaughey and Sean Penn, like everywhere. Stop. Three. He is a very close friends. Uh, he is very close family friends with Wolf Blitzer. And Wolf Blitzer came to his wedding and everybody was like, 
taking pictures with him instead of the other celebrities because for some reason Wolf Blitzer like really spoke to them. Which of those is the lie? Interesting. Um, I'm gonna say it's the Bromitz phone. It is. That's a lie. <laughs> is it? Okay. Yeah. Man, I'm so I did so well with two truths and a lie for uh, the first two episodes. I fooled my guess, and then the last two I've really. I wow! Need... No, but you sold it so well. I was like, oh man, oh man. <laughs> it was between that or the wedding. I didn't know the Bicers was hilarious. Not funny, which is why he's yeah. not on social media anymore because he like it's not good for him. Gotcha, gotcha. He gets into fights. <laughs> totally, I love that. We should have bar mitzvahs when we become like homeowners. You know, like real coming of age events. <laughs> oh if yeah. If we can ever like afford homes. That is the adult's bar mitzvah, I suppose, is buying a home. It is so hilarious that we had these incredible parties when we were, like, 12 and 13. And, I mean, I guess some people were hooking up, not me. Yeah. And drinking. But, like, it, you know, it was not a fun time to, a particularly exciting time to have a party. Like, an adult party would have been way more fun, for sure. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Like, I feel like there's a little too much adult supervision, you know, and uh, (laughs) looming over that. you got to give the handjob over the pants and not under. (laughs) Or I guess, actually, you have to do it under and not over, because that's more private. (laughs) Wow. I was not hooking up at, I was, I was not hooking up at that age. I had it, I had braces, and my braces gave me a gap tooth. I didn't have a gap tooth, but they gave me one. Really? Yeah. It was, like, so hilarious and so unfair. Like, oh, my gosh. Really not Well, fair. gap teeth are easier to clean, um, which is something I heard. So I was like, you know what? That's, I mean, that's I we're more hygienic. I suppose it's easier to clean the gap part, but then yeah. you, it's actually harder to clean the other outside true. parts because it's tighter. True, true. <laughs> I don't know the stats on that. Um Thank you so much for doing this. You were such an of amazing, delightful guest. We're just going to do some throwaway other Jewish actors that we love. Andrew Garfield. Right, um, but right. Specifically, specifically the American. Yeah, him with an American accent. I don't find... Do you find British accents sexy or appealing? Um, really sometimes not on him, though. You are correct. Right? He sounds yeah. better American. It's like, just do that all the time. Like, you, you clearly can. 100%. We just have to give a shout out to him, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, as we conclude this episode. Okay, sure. Yes. Shout out to yeah. Andrew Garfield if you're listening. What's up? Okay, thank you so much. I'll turn off. Actually, you know what? Sorry, I should ask you. Is there anything you want to uh, promote or people to listen to or what's, what's coming um, up for you? I will be having a comedy album coming out soon. Ooh. I don't know when. Within Very the exciting. year, hopefully. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, when lockdown hopefully is lifted, so look out for that. Okay. And then we're supposed to have our, um, two tapings come out soon in the spring, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival one, and then the Just for Laughs in Toronto. So hopefully that comes out soon, and, uh, it's not uh, as uh, bad as I thought they were. (laughs) They weren't. I wasn't there, but I assure you they were great. I promise you. Wow, I love you. Love you. (laughs) Thank you for doing this. Okay, I'm going to turn off the recording now. Thank 
you to my guest, Salma Hindi. You can find her on Twitter at Saluma911. That's S-A-L-O-O-M-A 911. And on Instagram at Salma.Hindi. Or you can go to her website, SalmaHindi.com. This show is hosted and edited by me, Laura Lebo. Executive producer is Michael Freeman. We're distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo and Twitter at Twebo. Follow the CJN on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Find other podcasts at thecjn.ca. Please make sure to subscribe and review the podcast. It helps us out and we're nice.